This is incredible. Uh, what have you been up to on our, quote, hiatus, Tori? Yeah, it, it felt like a short one, but maybe it was longer than what I'm remembering. You know, the days just all kind of run together right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's see. What have I been doing? Well, my my kiddo is in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so so many things. Uh, got pulled out from under us during during uh, the, the time that when we couldn't travel, right? Mm-hmm. So when this opportunity came up for her to go on a trip with Education First, there was a former counselor at her school who was putting together a trip to Italy and Germany. There, I got to say, though, there was a little bit of a scare because the week before they were supposed to go, she started coming out with a cold. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, my gosh, no. So I kept her home from school, let her recover, and she was fine. And now she's in now she's in Europe having a great time. And you know, aside from the being upset that she doesn't have full phone service because I said, no, just use Wi-Fi and WhatsApp. That's been a whole thing. <laughs> she did post on her Instagram or change her little note thingy to say Something like, blue skies are back. Something to that effect in 16-year-old speak. But as as you and I were discussing right before we started recording, maybe she found a workaround. Yes. <laughs> to the full internet thing. As, as they do. Uh, as know. the kids do, yes. As they do. And you were trying to show me the Instagram, and I was saying, wow, I just feel so technically challenged sometimes like I I really don't know how to find my way around on oh you know these things the youngins are using you know what I never (laughs) can I just tell you that I never thought that being in my 40s was old until I started hanging out with these whippersnappers yes I used the word whippersnappers (laughs) when I started hanging out with these these recently graduated youngins and they just know how to do everything. And I just find Instagram to be so exhausting. And Tori, (laughs) I don't think you use Instagram that much, but at least you post stuff on your social media. So I got to tell you, I felt like a total tool when Gina Femia wrote us a really cool email recently because she is um she has published her first novel it's a ya novel called alondra yeah i pre-ordered yeah so did i so did i because ya is my favorite genre but anyway she sent us the sweetest email letting us know about it we're super fans of her work i can't wait to read it but then (laughs) she was like oh tori congratulations on all your successes and like hey (laughs) it was really sweet and then tori 
<laughs> I felt I felt touched, but I also felt like a tool because you were like, "Hey, Mubel's got stuff going on too. She just doesn't post about it." And I was like, well, "I didn't say. Did I yeah. say it like that?" I was. Oh no! <laughs> and I was like, "Thanks, thanks, Dory." But I have no yeah. energy. I, I feel like I'm running this marathon, and I'm at mile twenty-two. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna finish. Like that's how exhausted. I am, especially when it comes to social media, because I'm like, what's it for? Like, who who cares what I'm doing? You know, it's like, I know. <laughs> Isn't that enough? I mean, yeah. this is stuff that I, I mean, don't even I... tell my mom. My mom doesn't even... Remember, I was telling you yesterday, I was like, my mom doesn't yeah. know what's going on. I can't... I don't have the energy to explain... Th That's it. If I don't have the energy to explain to my mom, do I have the energy to explain to the world? I don't. Well, I, I think if you weren't working toward your PhD right now you would have the time to post. It's about celebrating, celebrating you, you know, and I know you're, you're not a person who is a super, is a public person. Like you're very private and you don't post a lot, but it, in the, the world that we are in, in the playwriting world, it's our community. So I think it's about giving others an opportunity too to go, Oh, wow. Mabel has this thing going on. I think I happen to live there. I think I'll go see it. Or, you know, I would love to connect with her. We're in town at the same time. Or, wow, um, someone is is writing this play that is uh, uplifting Latinx voices. That's amazing. You know, that's great. I know it is exhausting. I I I agree with you. I see some people. You know, people in our circle who post yes. all the time. And, and I admire that, but also think, oh, gosh, I just, I don't, like you, I don't have the energy. It takes me a long time, even for my own stuff anymore, to get around to posting it. And I do think sometimes uh, people are curious to know what other people are doing. As long as you know, Tori, that's all that really matters because you will you will tell people for me. I, I will tell people. <laughs> but let's talk about you because you have some really cool stuff happening. And I just want to point out that hours before you started getting like a waterfall of good news, you were ready to, to throw in the towel oh my gosh. and quit playwriting yeah. and say, I'm done. And yeah, I was I was having one of those dark, dark moments of the soul <laughs> that we have as artists and feeling quite dejected. It just felt like there was a lot of re rejection coming my way. And so it makes you makes you question, right? Even though that shouldn't like, uh, okay, no, I'm not going to say it shouldn't happen because that's just that's what we go through. We're, I'm human. I can't help but feel like, wow, what, what am I missing here? Or what, or am I not submitting to the right opportunities? Or what, what is, or is what I'm writing about just not what people want to read or see, you know? Um, so yes, I, w <laughs> I was stoking the fire of my wretched agony. <laughs> I, I had talked to you and, um, and you were like, snap out of it. And, <laughs> and I think everyone needs that friend. Um, and so, you know, we, we hung up and I cursed your name. And a couple of hours later, 
I got just this fantastic news. And I think it first came in about Valdez. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a conference that I have long wanted to attend. It's a conference that people love. They love going to it. It's, it's just supposed to be great fun and in a spectacular place, right? It's kind of, they, they used to call it the last frontier theater conference. Cause it's literally like on the edge. And then I think it was like four days after that found out about the Lanford Wilson new American play festival. And that's at Southeast Missouri state university so I am excited about that too. And oh my goodness, I was looking at all of the playwrights who are included. My, mine is a short play that will be included in that festival, but the full length plays, so many amazing playwrights. I wish I could go for the entire week because they do workshops and all the readings of all of the plays that were selected. Yeah, so it, it'll be fun to travel to, to well... You know, traveling is is mixed, isn't it? Oh, mixed don't bag. remind me. I'm dreading <laughs> the travel. Uh, well, wait, wait. I have to say, too, first thing that I have coming up is Ingefest. Yes. And I did. we did talk about that on a, on a previous podcast, and that's in just a few weeks. Mm. And at the time I go to that, you're going somewhere. Yes. I'm going to Northwestern for the Playground Festival because my play, Loteria Game On is going to be presented there. And right after that, I'm going to Colorado, to Silverthorne, Colorado, because Theater Silco is doing a production of Loteria Game On. You heard it here first, kids. I'm super excited about this. It's a dream come true. I attended the first production meeting and asked not to see anything else. I had a vision for this play back in 2019 I wanted to write something that was for my community um, and that it would be beautiful and and so that's why the game this Loteria game it's it's to me it's very colorful very beautiful very very um representative of of who we are as Mexicans and they are killing it they are doing such an incredible I mean like I said I just went to the one that one meeting and was like tell me nothing else I don't want to know anything else I want to just show up and and take it all in and um hats off to uh to theater silco for for making this little mexican girl's dream come true seeing seeing her work but i have to say the coolest thing about it is so i you know i think i was very transparent about my dreams for this play like i this was written for for um students for like to be taken into schools um, because access, as you know, is a big deal for me. Who gets to see theater? Who is theater for? And so they're going to do 22 shows and they're all going to be free. And oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes, there will be two public performances that are that I guess for the community, but the rest of the shows are going to be for the schools that that are in the uh, that area. So wow! Yes. Oh, Mapel, I know that that's incredible. Yep. Wow. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I I wish that I could go out and see the production. Yeah, I'm still bummed that I didn't get to see Secret Garden oh. when it was done <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest. So, but I have a feeling that is not the last that we will see <laughs> of the Secret Garden. So, I 
I have a feeling it's going to be done somewhere else. Hey. Hopefully sooner rather than later, because I would really love to see it. But enough about our crazy lives. This episode, oh. I I just love this conversation. And you had been talking it up for quite some time. And this person did not disappoint. What a joy. Tell us who, oh my who is kicking us off for season six on Hey Playwright. Gary Garrison is our season opener. And oh my gosh, what a lovely human being. For the last 30 years, Garrison's professional work and creative life has centered on being a playwright, educating and nurturing playwrights, and administrating a variety of playwriting organizations, educational programs, and theater companies that promote dramatists and the development of new plays. In 2014, the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts instituted the National Gary Garrison 10-Minute Play Award given to the best 10-minute play written by a university dramatist. And then in April of 2023, Tusculum University instituted the Gary Garrison Award for 10-minute plays for the best 10-minute play written by any dramatist across the country. Welcome. Gary Garrison. Hi. Hi. So glad to be here with you guys. Years ago, there was a Dramatist Guild, what would be called a convention here in San Diego, it was in La Jolla. Right. Yep. Uh, I, think, yep. I think it was back in 2015 when I first officially met you. Actually, Gary, I don't know if I even met you. I think I was too nervous. I had seen you on a panel and you were it was kind of like you were a rock star and you were walking, <laughs> you were walking around the hotel. I was like, oh my God, that's Gary Garrison, Gary Garrison, who wrote those books. And oh <laughs> so, so I, uh, I, I think I might've said hi to you, but, um, I, yeah, that, that was when I first encountered you and your spectacular magnetism and and as Mabel before we started recording said wisdom uh, when it comes to playwriting and the business of playwriting mm. so that was my first encounter with you mm. wow well thank you that's very sweet but then I had the good fortune to be a part of the cohort of the Kennedy Center playwriting um, in intensive this past year so that was oh my gosh we talked about it at length on the podcast. I, I couldn't stop talking about how great it was. Oh, good, was good, good. Well, let's just start, as we do, about how you came into, into theater, into playwriting, this crazy world that we're in. <laughs> sure. Um, so I grew up in Southeast Texas in a very, very, very small town, tiny, tiny, tiny town. And um, uh, you know, I was a kid in the kind of southern, racist, bigoted, homophobic South that was different. We just can play that, <laughs> we can play that out in all directions. My particular difference was, um, I didn't know it at the time, but, uh, you know, I had all this kind of manic, crazy energy and, um, and I was gay and I, I didn't know I was gay at the time. I mean, I'm just too young to kind of figure it all out, but things are just shooting out in all directions. And and so what I think any gay person will tell you is that they learn how to hide very quickly. Mm -hmm. They learn how to hide um, 
as a matter of survival. And so what better place to hide than in a theater, right? Because you get to put on, you get to literally wear somebody else's identity and you get to wear it for, you know, the three, four, five, six weeks you're rehearsing and then you get to wear it in public. And then at the end of that, you know, at the end of that wearing and that kind of public display of somebody else's, uh, if, you're, if, you, if you do it well, there's this. And that sounds like love. Mm. And, and mm. so when, you, to, or at least it did to my ear, so that, uh, not that I wasn't loved, but you know, when you're, when you're injured or when you feel particularly, uh, when you carry shame in your life or when you, you know, any of those things, you know, you can't get enough of that. So for me, it was a way of salving that wound of, uh, or just the wounds that I carried with me. Um, and then I went, uh, you know, I started off as an actor. I went into, so I was an actor in high school. I went into, uh, I got my undergraduate degree as an actor. And then I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> and, in, and in fact, every summer I went away during college and, uh, and worked as an actor and got my equity card. Uh, very early. I mean, I was 19 when I got my equity card. Wow. So, so I, and so, and I continued to act like that all the way up through my, I have two uh, advanced degrees, which I'll tell you about. And I acted every summer as a way of making money to come back to school. Um, and you know, in those days, you guys, you could go, you could go to a, a rep program or you could go to summer stock or whatever it happened to be and do 12 shows. <laughs> you do 12 shows in eight months, in eight weeks. It was just insane, but it was amazing training. Anyway, I, I started as an actor and then I went to graduate school and got my master's degree and it was as a director. And then I, and then, um, and I wasn't ready to leave school because school is, uh, I love school. So I went and got a PhD um, <laughs> and I got a, I got a PhD in, um, in directing and acting and playwriting. And at the time it was a DFA, a, a doctor of fine arts. So, which don't exist anymore, but it then became a PhD through the University of Michigan. So that's how it all started. <laughs> it's a very long way of saying that's how it started. And it started as a way of, um, you know, I wore that armor all the way through all those programs. So, because, you know, until we get into the nineties, life as a person of difference, again, whatever that may mean to you, uh, and particularly in Texas. And then I went to Michigan. Um, um, you know, life as a person of difference is, is not an easy life. And it's one in which you can physically be threatened, um, but certainly emotionally, um, you know, banged on the head a few times. So these, the, this lovely life of living in the theater and creating things and, um, and forming families, because, you know, that's what I think Peter actually does, to be really honest, for, for, for the artist. It's, mm -hmm. lovely for the, it's lovely for the audience, but for the artist, I think that um, you create family time and time and time again from each successive project that you do. So you create one family, you live this uh, life of family, and then it kind of dissolves and the show is over. And then you search out and seek another family and build it all up again 
and create family again and live inside that family and then it dissolves down and then you just um and if you're fortunate you have one good family experience after another they don't always work out that way but you know sometimes they do oh i i love that that image of uh creating that family being in community um but then you know when that production ends we have that oh nobody can see what i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) the drop right the drop the plummet of of emotions where it's like oh the blue period right the post uh, show blues yeah yeah but that's kind of like you know that's certainly what family is even in real life yeah you've got all those beautiful Mm -hmm. hot you've got some of those beautiful highs and then your father says something that just puts you in a gutter for three weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah, You're like, true. I'm, I'm just going to lay out here for a couple of months and try to nurse <laughs> my fragile ego back. You know, that, of course, they don't mean it. Uh, you know, for the most part, I don't think they quite mean it or understood what it meant to you. But, you know, it does happen. That's for sure. Absolutely. So that's how, that's how I got started. So how did you how did you make your way into playwriting? Like you were an actor, you were a director, and then what? Where, when was the calling to say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to write"? So I I was at the University of Michigan, and I they had hired me to come in as an actor in their equity company that was associated with the program, and so I came in as an as an actor, and they said, um, uh, "We'd love to keep you around, but you'd have to enroll in a degree program." I'm like, "Okay." Oh, okay. And they were, they were like, uh, right? they're like, well, you have, you have an MFA and you have a BA, so it's going to have to be a PhD. I'm like, I'm like, okay. And I, I, you know, I don't, I'm sure you guys know this. A PhD is a much different thing. It's a scholar based, it's a scholarly based enterprise. And, and I am not that person. Just, I'm just, I, I, I there are things that I'm really great at, but that is, you know, being a scholar is not one of them. So uh, anyway, so but I, you know, I took it on and I was kind of like, I'll, I'll get through it. You know, you just have to give me a challenge and I'm in for it. So uh, I jumped into it. And the first semester that I was there, they said, uh, you know, how would you like to make some money as a graduate assistant? And I'm like, right on. Yeah, let's go. And they were like, would you like to be the uh, GA for the playwriting program? I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know anything. You know, I was just, okay, you're going to give me some money. Okay. What do I do? You know. Anyway, I sat in this program um, and it was taught by a guy named Mylon Stitt who wrote a play called the runner stumbles and the runner stumbles had had a, a long Broadway run uh, for about two years. Um, and this was probably eight or nine years after that Broadway run that he was at the university of Michigan. So, I mean, he was just, uh, he was intriguing to me, right? Because he had been on Broadway and he had written for Broadway and he had worked with Broadway stars and then been made into a movie. And it just looked, you know, very, he lived in New York. He lived in New York and they flew him there once a week to teach. Can you imagine? Oh my God, come <laughs> on. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, it, was, it was an honor to kind of work with him and to kind of learn. So the first year I just, you know, shut my mouth, did administrative work and just listened because I was in on every class that he taught. And then the second year I did that thing, which, you know, was all done at one point or another. I'm, I'm a little ashamed mine came so early, 
But I sat and I was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> so it's like when you're standing at a standing at a painting in you know MoMA in New York, and you're like, ah, oh, I, I can give me some paint. I can do that. <laughs> so I sat in I sat in that playwriting class. as like, you know, I can do that. I can do that. And, and then your head, you don't say it out loud, but you're like, and it will be better, right? <laughs> So anyway, I, uh, long story short, I withdrew from being his graduate assistant uh, because I had a conversation with him and I said, I want to take the class. I just want to be a student. So I withdrew and then I took the class for two years. He left and then they hired me to teach the class. So that's kind of how it all started. I taught undergraduate playwrights, not graduate playwrights, undergraduate playwrights, and I was a grad student. So, so um, I was very incredibly lucky, very blessed, uh, and taught. Uh, I was a student of his. He was a he was tough, was a tough teacher, but I learned how to be a playwright in those two years that I was with him. Uh, I, we all did. And, um, and it's, you know, he, sh and then we stayed friends. And then interestingly enough, when I went to NYU and started teaching there, and then I became the chair over there, I actually hired him to come. I mean, it just kind of went full circle. Right? <laughs> and then I, I hired him to come there and teach. It was, it was kind of lovely. It was a lovely thing. But anyway, that's, that's how. Um, and uh, while I was in school, I wrote this very short play for him it was an assignment for him and uh and he sent it to somebody and then it got sent somewhere else and then i had like this this uh flourish of like productions and stuff and i wasn't out of school yet and i really didn't even know what being a playwright was yet so it was great and terrifying and frightening and i i misstepped all over the place and i said the stupidest things to directors and I, you know, because you, you don't know. And you just say the stupidest things in the world. And, you know, and I blew some relationships just, uh, oh. <laughs> but uh, it taught me what I needed to know. So what advice would you give to young Gary when you mm. were, when you were learning the ways of what it means to be a playwright? Never say no. Hmm. And I, I say that, and I'll explain what I mean by that. And that, I, that came very quickly, if you notice that about, about <laughs> well, 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 we'll have to figure out what that's about at some point, I assume. <laughs> but uh, for example, when I was at Michigan and Mylon was in New York and he had left the program, right? And I was gonna take, they asked, would you, would you like to teach this course? And I did not feel really ready. I mean, I just had two years of it, right? And a third year as an administrator, but I said, yes, I didn't say no. So, and I figured it out as I, and I committed to it. Boy, I was gonna be the best that I could be or go down trying, right? Uh, he asked me to come to New York to, uh, just coming out for a weekend, Mylon. So I went and he was on the adjunct faculty at NYU and said, do you want to go with me? I have to go pick up my mail. Sure. So we went 
we went up on the seventh floor, which was going to be my home for the next 28 years. I didn't know it at the time, but, and the chair of the program was there and she said, are you looking for a job? And I'm like, uh-huh. I was no more looking for a job. <laughs> I, I had a year left in graduate school. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. You know, so I learned quickly to never say no. And you would figure out within reason, you guys, you know what I'm talking about. And then I would figure out how it was going to work after. Say yes first, figure out the logistics later. So that when the last Frontier Theater Conference said, would you like to come to Valdez, Alaska, which is 2 million miles from where I live, and like 18 times on way. <laughs> and you are in, you know, you are in, um, you never quite recover because the sun doesn't go down. So you are teaching and guesting and all that stuff for seven days nonstop and you've not slept about an hour. Uh, I never said no. I didn't say no the first time. And I didn't say no for the next six times after that they or whatever it was. They invited me again because I met some of the most extraordinary artists in the world there. The least of which was the guy who runs it, um, Dawson. Anyway, my point being is that uh, uh, I learned that early on. Don't say no. Because I often would say no because I was afraid. Mm -hmm. I was afraid that I would fail. I was afraid that somebody would discover me as a phony. Uh, you know, that whole imposter syndrome. I was so afraid that I would be discovered as an imposter that he didn't know what he's talking about. He's only been a playwright for two years. What could he possibly know? You know, like I could spin that until the cows come home. So, um, so I just learned to say yes and figure it out from there. That's what I would say. That story, I feel like that has been a theme with some of the other people that we've spoken to, that it is about continuing when the universe opens an opportunity for you this door opens right that you even in the face of fear and doubt <laughs> that you say yes and just walk through that door a friend of mine just applied uh, a, a, the son of a friend of mine just applied to UCLA to a program there and uh and you know they're of modest means and he said, what do I say if they, I don't know if I can afford to go, what do I say? I could just hear the worry and the anxiety, right? Uh, and this was particularly true as he got a call and a final interview. And he was like, what, what do I say if they, they say, I said, you say yes. Nothing else. Yes. Thank you. And then we'll all figure it out from there. If you hesitate, if they hear the hesitancy, not just in any opportunity, right? It just, you want people to go, oh my God, yes, thank you. You know, you don't wanna hear, I, yeah, oh. And I get, I understand anxiety and I understand hesitancy and all that other stuff. Say yes, figure it out from there. It's actually puts you into a much better frame of mind to solve the problem than if you don't. Mm. That's what I would say. Well, and it clearly saying yes has worked for you because it's been over 30 years that you've not just been um, teaching, but you're continuing to write plays. Mm. You're continuing to write plays and, and also, oh my gosh, I have my book. 
a more perfect 10. You know, there's a, by the way, before I forget, there's a, uh, somebody asked me this the other day. Uh, the publisher of a more perfect 10 came to me and, and asked me to, uh, there was, there's an, an educational group in the South <clears throat> that wants to use the 10 minute play as a, as a means of teaching a unit of drama in high school. So could I, could I re rewrite my book <clears throat> for high school kids? Well, you know, I got a mouth on me. So <laughs> I, I was like, well, I could. <laughs> but boy, would that be a lot of work. Anyway, long story short, we, we figured it all out. And I, and I said, yes, yes. I am and, so glad you did because the youth, right? This next generation of playwrights coming up, give, giving them something as a guide yeah. is just yeah. fabulous. Yeah, yeah. So they call it, I, the reason I'm telling the story is that they call it a younger 10. And I'm like, okay, we've got a more perfect 10. A <laughs> it's going to be an older 10. It's going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a arthritic 10. It's got, <laughs> so we're, Gary, we're but were they asking you to, to, to modify the, the language because they want to use it in their curriculum in the, in the school? Oh, okay. Cause I was going to say the yeah. words in here are words they've heard. <laughs> you know? you know, here's, here's what I learned. I thought this was so interesting and I really appreciated the lesson because you, despite the fact that I'm saying yes, 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 yes. There was a big part of me that's going, Oh, fucking well, I am not. <laughs> no, <laughs> you cannot pay me all the money in the world. Anyway, I said yes. And then I figured out who I was writing for were not those kids. Mm -hmm. I'm writing for their parents mm -hmm. because their parents pick up those books and read those books first before those kids ever get to see it. It goes before a panel and a board. These are things I never even knew. I, oh, yeah. I didn't, I, yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay. So I understand, I understand people drop the F-bomb all the time, but to a Southern mom in Georgia, you know, all the time doesn't matter to her. Mm -hmm. She's mm -hmm. trying to instill some good Christian values in those kids and just respect that Gary. Like you don't have to agree with right. it, but just respect it, right? And so I learned a lot. I was like, yeah, shut up here. Just sit back with mm -hmm. your values and just allow them to be. Don't try to change, you know, mm -hmm. just allow them to be as you want somebody to allow you to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a, that is a great lesson. And I appreciate it. I'm, I'm going to receive that. <laughs> 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 um, so Gary what what I found interesting when I first read this book years ago um mm -hmm. is that it, it it's in one of the intro sections where you're writing about how how 10 minute play festivals and all of that came about because it wasn't a thing before right and then suddenly it was I, I, yeah. but could you talk about that sure I mean I I, I I'm not great about the dates, but I can give you an approximation, right? So the 10 minute play, I believe originated as a kind of theatrical, a theatrically cultural phenomenon uh, from Actors Theater of Louisville. 
yeah. they they used it as a program to train their interns. They needed material that their interns could have a full arc experience, but contained because they had, you know, they had so many of them. So they begin this 10 minute play thing for them. And, I, and then I'm not sure, and then it became very popular to the audiences. And from what I understand, they said, well, you know, if our audiences like it, maybe a larger audience will like it. And then from that was born the, the, the very famous Actress Theater of Louisville 10 Minute Play Festival, which everybody and their mother, including me, <laughs> tried to get in. If I could, I would have sold both cars and an arm to get into that, you know, to, P.S., this is, this will, this will kill you. I had a lot of students that went through <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of students that got in. Um, I actually did have a lot of students that got in. But, you know, and, uh, but I just couldn't crack it. I, the, I, I did crack it its last year. I became a finalist. But, I, you know, a bridesmaid, but not the bride. That's okay. I looked good in the dress. So, uh, so that was fun. You know, it's fun to get that on your letterhead that you're, you know, a finalist and, you know, who's lovely. Anyway, uh, so, so it started with them. When I got to NYU, uh, so I was in a, the dramatic writing program, which teaches playwriting, screenwriting, and television writing. And, you know, it, it's insane. It's, it's Tisch School of the Arts is such a crazy great place. Crazy good, crazy bad, crazy a lot of things. Uh, the least of which is in my program alone, we had 400 undergraduates and um, uh, probably about 80 graduate students, right? That's a lot of writers. And they were all writers, by the way. These were not in the Tisch School, you it's, a, it's a conservatory. You train, your classes, that, those are your classes. Right. And the undergraduates, they took some liberal arts courses, but not, not, and when I first started, not a whole lot. Anyway, long story short, the chair of the program came to me at the time, the chair at the time came to me and said, we have to find a way to, um, to produce. Uh, they need to see their work on stage. This kind of reading stuff is, you know, it's okay, but, you know, it's, it, as you know, it's just, it, readings take you a certain place and that's fantastic. But, you know, seeing it live with actors off book and in front of an audience and with a director, and that whole experience is so rich. Can you think of a way to do it? And I don't know why I, I I'm sure I had just probably submitted something to the National Timber. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Or had been rejected or something. <laughs> anyway. So I said, why don't we do this? 10 minute play, why don't we do a 10 minute play festival? No one had heard, no one had heard about 10 minute plays. No, not in my department. This, and I'm telling you, I can tell you exactly when this would be 1990. So that's, I just want to give voice to the, you know, in 30 years, this has kind of, and I'm not using myself as a marker. I'm just saying as somebody who was in a playwriting program, that had a significant name to it at the time. I'm sure it still does, but at the time, and its faculty were playwrights all you know, playwrights who had their hands all over the industry. I hadn't heard of a 10-minute play festival. 
And I was working in it every day of my life, right? So anyway, we started one and then and then uh, one became two and two became three festivals a year um, because it was a way to, to produce all those playwrights. And, and at the same time, I was the national chair of playwriting for the Kennedy Center, uh, the American College Theater Festival. And uh, we were looking there for the same thing. How do we bring actors in with directors and with writers? And how do we pollinate these artists that are desperate to work with each other from all over the hundreds, hundreds of them, thousands of them really, in these regional festivals and stuff. So we started the National 10 Minute Play Festival there. And it grew like, it crazy, crazy. So, um, so I'm not sure how much both of those things play into the broader the broader environment of ten minute plays, but I know I know I know the Kennedy Center thing had a significant impact on it for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the university I went to, we had a ten minute play festival. It was such a, like you said, it was just a great way for students for us to get our work fully realized and then they did it like circle rep marshall mason came in and he was at my school and they um so we had directors assigned to us we wrote for specific actors it was super mm. cool i super and cool. and wonderful to see your work <laughs> see your work done yeah. like, as you said. yeah of course um, gary did you feel when you when the when the shift happened to 10 minute plays you know as mm -hmm. a as this art form right mm -hmm. because there mm -hmm. is an art as we know to writing mm -hmm. a 10 minute play how how did you feel you had to shift your uh, what you were teaching in the classroom or did you like how did you i didn't shift that? it i i didn't shift it i used it as a compliment to it i said you know my position when i begin to understand them when I, when I, you know, to write those books, you know, when I began analyzing them and studying them and figuring out, oh, this is not very easy. Right. Even when I, even when I started, right. right? When I started, I thought, oh, it's just 10 minutes. You know, I, I played into every trope we've ever heard about 10 minute life. Oh, it's easy, it's short. <laughs> Wait, it's three characters. You know, it's just all those things. And then when I started studying them, when I would get the anthologies from Actors Theatre of Louisville of the plays that had been produced and would study those and, and then started studying, you know, certainly started studying my own students' uh, plays and to, to, to discover how best to, to produce them and all that. I thought, oh, damn, okay, oh, wow. Well, these are hard. And if, if they are done right, they are a microcosm from actually what our experience should be in the theater. It has everything just this big instead of this big. But you don't, you shouldn't sacrifice anything. Not theatricality, not character development, not conflict engagement, not resolution, not climax, not arc, not, not structure. Not, I mean, I can just go on and on and on, right? It needs to have all those things, which is why, let's just be frank, most people can't write them. Mm. or struggle writing them because they don't understand my experience has been they don't understand uh that they have to have structure in place 
that there actually has to be a resolution, that there needs to be engaging characters, that you can't have service characters without intent, that, and just on and on and on and on, right? So I, so Tori, to your question, I began using them as a tool. They supplemented my teaching mm. because I never thought, I never thought for, any, for a moment they should supplant a full-length play, ever. You should learn how to write a full-length play by writing a shorter play that has all the elements of a longer play. Having said that, a longer play is its own animal and comes with its own problems. But you can get the training for it. You can, the muscle, you can get the muscle to write it in a short play. And then, you know, I, I don't know, I know nothing about sports, so it is ridiculous that I'm gonna make this comparison. So, so but I have to think, if you're gonna run, I'm from, this is probably just bullshit. But anyway, if you're gonna if you're gonna run if you're gonna run a race, it seems to me if you run the short one well, you you probably it's the next step would be to go to the medium size and then go to the long the long race. So because you're you're building up the muscles along the way. Although I'm sure there's something about bursts of energy and all that other stuff. So uh I used it as a tool, Tori, not mm. to replace anything. I, it became, my teaching became stronger because of it. I tell you what I learned as a teacher. I learned how to analyze anybody's play lightning fast. Because, because 10 minutes, your brain has to go, you know, you have to think quickly because that clock is ticking down. And then they're going to expect a response from you. So you don't have the luxury to sit there in a full-length play and be thinking, you know, you know, nothing. You no, you got to think quick. You have to be analyzing quick. You have to be anticipating questions. You know, your brain is like engaged. Anyway, that's what I used it for. <clears throat> I, I want to know. I want to know some tips about doing lightning speed play analysis. What are the yeah, What are the things too. that go through your head? Like, how do you how do you break that down so quickly? Because I think Tori and I, as teaching artists, that could be particularly useful for us. Okay. Well, I mean, there, you know, something really, really simple. I taught a workshop yesterday on what the ten minute play. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I sure did. And uh, so, of course, the, the question of structure comes up, right? Because, you know, structure mm -hmm. is something that that we universally hate. <laughs> <laughs> and so few quite understand, but all of us desperately <laughs> need. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> uh, and I was saying to them, uh, they said, somebody said, well, why do you think, it, why, are there, why is there such resistance? And I thought, I don't, I don't know that there's resistance, but in, if there is, I think in part, because we don't like to be told what to do. That's the bottom line. I don't want to be told how to write my play. The kid in us did not have to be told how or what to do with cardboard boxes. We made forts from them. We knew exactly what to do with them. We made forts, we made washing machines from them. We made caves, we made clubhouses, all that stuff. You didn't have to tell us, we knew the same philosophy in teaching, uh, in uh, uh, structure, in writing. You don't tell us what to do. We know what to do. Actually, you don't. <laughs> or, or, it, or if you do, you're very, very lucky. 
because most of us don't understand it, right? So to answer your question, Mabel, one of the things I learned, for example, is in a 10 minute play, that conflict has to be laid down by page two or thereabouts. There's no, it's not a formula, but you know, if there's 10 pages or if there's 10 minutes, two minutes in, we probably need to know what's going on. So the first thing, Mabel, is that, you know, for two minutes, you're sitting there saying, okay, this is all, better lay that conflict down. Better lay that conflict down. Oh, okay, here we're up to four minutes in. <laughs> well, we're halfway through the play. <laughs> right, we're halfway through the play, and I'm not sure what your conflict is. Mm -hmm. Well, there's your first, there's your first note right there. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. so there's that. Um, the second thing is, uh, you know, character development. We don't have a lot of time for character development in 10 minute plays, but the characters need to be developed. That means we can't spend time developing them in a 10 minute play. They have to come to the table, you know, lights up. We have a, we got the full Magilla right there in front of us because we're not going to watch it happen. It's already happened and we're watching it in action. So that's another thing. Like, are these characters engaging? Are they, do they feel complicated? Do they feel complete? I mean, there's, there is going to be surprise and uh, development. It, even in that 10 minutes, there's going to be something that's going on that's going to surprise us. And, but are, are there enough of them there for me to go, oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's compelling. To add to what you're saying in your book, I love this quote from you. You said it at the Kennedy Center, the summer intensive, and I wrote it down and then I went, wait, I've seen this somewhere. Oh yeah, it's in Gary's book, but it's people are infinite in their complexity. Stories are finite in their details. And I feel like that's what you're speaking to right now about character. That's it. That's it. So Mabel, just, just so that you, you are, and whoever else may be listening to this. Um, uh, when we, new writers particularly, but even writers who've been doing this for a very long time, focus on story. Gotta get that story right. What's the story? What's the twist? What's the turn? What's the hook? What's the, that's all wrong-minded. This is my opinion. Others will argue with it, but. And what Tori is saying is, I think that stories are finite. There's only so many details in a story we're ever gonna learn in the course of two hours or 10 minutes. It's a very finite number. People are infinitely complex. So, you know, write the people in a simple story. Don't write, do you see what I'm saying? Don't write a complicated story with simple people. Mm. it's not going to happen in 10 minutes. But if you write a banker, if you sit down today and say, I'm going to write a banker who has a contempt for money, you've already created somebody really interesting. And all you did was label, you've not even, you, there's no words on the page. I'm going to write a banker who has a contempt for money. I'm in. <laughs> you know, like I, I would, I would like to see that person. I think that's interesting. That's a quirky kind of something. That's what I'm talking about. 
So you come, so, so my bell, you know, in two minutes, I can look inside that thing and go, okay, am I in or I'm not in? Why am I not in? I'm not in because the characters aren't engaging and because I don't know what the hell the conflict is. And we're about a fifth of the way in your play or mm. a fourth. So that's how you, so you start training your mind that way. Then you just kind of keep checking in. You check in with like, oh, I'm halfway through and I still don't know what the conflict is. Oh my God. Okay. Well, there it is. Oh, it's only on page seven. All right. Well, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? so there's, so there's that. And, and then, and then, you know, plays reveal themselves in all kinds of obvious ways. And once they make, once they reveal what they are or, or what they're not, your mind can go to other places like, um, would you like a cup of coffee? Yes, I would. All right. He walks into the kitchen. He comes out with a steaming cup of coffee. What? Oh, hello. What, was it just waiting? <laughs> was it magic back there? How did that happen? <laughs> How did that happen? So then you're able to say things like, you know, your time logic is off. Hmm. Nobody has, a, there's just not enough. So you can say that. You can say, um, and one of the things I talk about a lot, and I talked about this at length yesterday, is what makes theater theater? Why are you writing for the theater? Why does this belong here and not on television and not in film and not a short story and not, why does it, what does theater afford you? that no other medium does and you must understand that so that when you write you know that great part bench play <laughs> you, know, you you know that that the park actually comes into it the world of the park is there that's what we can do in theater we can play with sound we can hear kids dribbling basketballs and laughing we can hear an ambulance go by we can hear a plane going overhead. We can hear somebody shoot a gun. We can, we can hear all kinds of things as we would in a park. And then light plays. You know, we play with light in the theater. So we, I can isolate them on that park bench. It can be broad, bright, you know, daylight, whatever. I can use light to help tell the story because it's, it, is the, it is noon. The sun is directly overhead. And the guy who's trying to keep his cool about lying to his wife is sweating profusely, mm. for example. So how, so Mabel, back to your question. So, I, so then I will look for how are you using it? How, how's the theater being honored in this way? How's it being utilized? Oh, you know what? It's not. <laughs> so, so let's think about that. Is there a way to do that in your play? Well, it is set in a funeral home. Can we just put some organ music in the background? Can, can I hear somebody drop a body on the floor? I, I don't know what, just do something. <laughs> you know, something that, that, something that helps tell the story that's mm -hmm. not superfluous, but that is intended to tell the story. So the example I used yesterday is if you're if in that discussion on that great part of play is between a man and a woman or a man and a man or a woman and a woman or they and them. And uh, there's a discussion of infidelity. And every time it, it, it is broached in the conversation an ambulance goes by, 
Well, that's interesting. Or if every time an ambulance goes by, one of the two gets irritated, mm -hmm. right? Because they're not getting any help from their part. You know what I'm saying? There are mm -hmm. so many ways, mm -hmm. so many ways to write that. But do write it. Write it because you understand that you're working in a medium that is meant for that. Does that answer that question? Yes. Sure. That's what I, that's what I look for, man. I, like my brain is like racing to go. You know, I'm just ticking off boxes, yeah. right? And I just, just to add, um, when people write comedy, uh, you know, the critique uh, becomes something totally different because writing comedy is a skill that is different than anything else we're taught in playwriting. So, so you have to understand that and you have to, kind of go at it uh, in a much different frame of mind. And you have to make sure that they're not, not writing a sketch, that in fact they're writing a play and not a sketch. Anyway, so there's that. Um, I think we need to have a follow-up episode on just what you said about comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Certainly we certainly could. You know, particularly as it relates to the 10 minute play to be really frank with you and you know tori you know this and i i go off on it in, in that one of those books which is you know there is this kind of messed up thing that goes on in this country about 10 minute plays and it starts like just i'm not busting anybody's chops but i'm trying not to slap somebody's hands but it usually starts with artistic directors because they love that 10 minute play on the holocaust love it it's so dramatic Let's do that one. Let's do that 10 minute play on the Holocaust. Okay. No, in all seriousness. And it's a, let's say it's a great play. So what are you gonna put beside that? So they look for a comedy or they look for something lighter in tone and when they can't find one, well, that sketch looks okay. Mm. You know, we'll, we'll get them to laugh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they put something that is sketch-like close to it or around it and uh, to, to kind of ease the tension in the room. Um, and every audience person that's sitting there goes, oh, is that a 10 minute play? Uh, they assume it's a 10 minute play because it's called a 10 minute play festival. <laughs> so they're just making assumptions that, oh, I guess that's a 10 minute play and it's not. So, and then writers who are in the audience or writers who didn't get in that festival, who are there to see it, they're like, like, as Gary crosses his arms and pulls his head back. I crossed mine too. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, I can't, I, you know, we've all sat in that audience going, what the hell is that? Oh, for God's sake, really? Come on. Yep. So, you know, so there's that. And uh, anyway, yes, we could have another session on it, and I've got plenty to say. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh um i feel like what you were talking about was a really nice segue into talking about the festival the brand new festival that was just created last year could with you my name please talk about yeah. that with your name on it <laughs> yeah so uh university in tennessee contacted me and said you know we've been teaching your book for for however long and uh 
you know, the students, they were very nice about this and the students really learned something and it's great for our acting students, it's great for our directing students, blah, blah, blah. And so we do this festival of, of 10 minute plays and, it, you know, we would love to include a play of yours in uh, the festival this year. I'm like, yeah, fantastic, that's great. Um, as a thank you, as he said originally as a thank you. I'm like, that's fantastic. And we're gonna publish it because they do a, a, a literary journal called the Tusculum Review. And which I had heard of, and so they said, and we'll publish it in the in the review. I was like, oh, okay, now it's getting even better. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, I sent them the play. I sent them this play that I had uh, that I that is old. It's one of my first, you know one of the first plays I read. I, I wrote, and uh, but I don't see it done very often. So I was curious. I would be curious to know how it would do. And then, so I gave it to them to do. And when it was done, they contacted me and said, we think that we would like to institute a National Playwriting Award with your name on it for the best 10 minute play written by a playwright across the country. And we're gonna give them a thousand dollars. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, seriously? That is <laughs> I have the thousand <laughs> Could you just give them the title and give me the money? <laughs> they said, we'll give them a thousand dollars and we'll produce them and we'll publish them. I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and uh, I said, that I would help them promote it and you know all, all, all those things. So they uh, so to, this year was the inaugural year, and they um, they had five hundred six hundred and eighty one uh, submissions, and wow. right and narrowed it down to ten. So and then from those ten we narrowed it down to five, and from those five we narrowed it down to three, two, and then one. Um, and I'm telling you, so I, I was on the, I began reading around when it had gone down from uh, that top number to 200, I began reading. So I began read. I think I read the final 200 or thereabouts. And, uh, and certainly the final, you know, 50 and the final 20 and the final 10. And I was, and I have to say, I was like, like this, this gentleman who won this award, his name is Vance Gatton, and um, uh, it is a beautiful. It's it's uh, it's a beautiful play. I'll just say that he's a he's a really interesting writer. And but then second place was a guy named Hank Kimmel, who I do know. We know Hank. Hank has been on our yeah. We do. We were doing five minute play contests, and Hank was one of the chosen plays for one of our festivals. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, what a soul. And he wrote a beautiful play, a beautiful play. I believe it. Um, yeah, gorgeous, stunning. Anyway, so that's that. So it, it'll be around now and we'll, we'll see every year somebody will, you know, walk away with a thousand bucks. Amazing. For a 10 minute play. Well, a yeah. thousand bucks <laughs> yeah, for production and, and, and a publication. 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 I mean, that is, that's incredible. The trifecta the tri for playwrights. Yeah. The, it really is kind of, the yeah, it totally is. And it's, uh, 
You know, I I uh, I didn't read the earlier swath of the plays, so I I only came in on that last third. Um, but that last third, I'm telling you, people have learned how. I mean, in the old days, I I was not so I would not have been so generous with my phrase because everyone was kind of struggling to understand and. Man, look, it's a brand new art form. Let's be honest. We're all just trying to figure it out and make it work. And I think people are beginning to figure it out. I really do. The 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 ten, the top ten plays of this thing, I I would have I would have proudly written any of them. I would have been like, I would love to have my name on any of these. Do you know a writer by the name of Jenny Mahoney? So Jenny Mahoney is uh, she runs Seven Devils, uh, the Seven Devils Playwrights Conference. She wrote a play that I was like, well, damn. <laughs> it's like, I love when I curse. I'm like, well, how? Yeah. Well, <laughs> damn. Damn, that's good. Damn, so good. Anyway, and, and, and others. I don't want to leave anybody else, so I'll stop there. But because they were all good, really good. So that's it. Um, and then the Kennedy Center has that award for college kids with my name on it. Which for college really kids, sweet. yeah. Yeah, really yeah. sweet. You know, you know what I liked about seeing who the finalists were is that it did, it introduced me to some, the names of playwrights that I either had yeah. seen floated or went, oh yeah, I reckon, where do I recognize that name from? Or, you know, and then I would go to MPX and read their plays if I could, because I just think it's just so interesting to see what people are writing and what, uh, what people are saying, hey, this is a great play, whether it's 10 minutes or a full-length play. That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah. I mean, God love NPX, right? It has been such a wonderful resource for me. Of course. Uh, personally, I just love, I, I love getting to um, investigate and, uh, and find, discover writers and it's just it's wonderful and just to see what's lighting people up you know I, I love that they um I think it's either once a week or once a month they highlight certain scripts certain groups of writers and then there's all these plays that you know if, if they're available because sometimes on MPX you know the playwright has not made them available for download but then you can take that next step and you can reach out to the playwright I've done that I read totally. the first 50 pages and I went, oh my God, this person only put the first 50 pages on here. I need to know what happens. So I sent them a note and said, I need to know what happens, you know. Isn't that <laughs> so good. The rest of it? So we are now at the asking for a friend segment of the show. So Tori, what is the asking for a friend for Gary? Gary, this is inspired by something that you talked about earlier today but also something that I learned in the Kennedy Center Intensive, Summer Intensive last year, that you would think I would know for all the years I've been <laughs> writing plays, but it has to do with using all of the technical elements, like write, making sure you get that into your script, because I think sometimes when we're writing, we picture it or we hear it, but if you don't put that onto the page so that the other people reading or hearing it out loud or seeing mm -hmm. it can experience it right um and so i have been very mindful of that as i've gone forward in my writing so gary in the 10 minute play of your life mm -hmm. 
in that opening setup, could you give us the description of what we would see and hear and experience in those opening stage directions? Through a misty fog, we see the remnants of a hurricane that has left the stage. That's it. And I can picture it. Me too. Yep, that's what it would be. Or some, you know, thereabout, something like that. It would be just after, just after a significant storm <laughs> of some sort. I think that's what it would be. Yep. Wow. Just really touched me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't. I know I've made mistakes in my life. That's for sure. At many is a matter of fact. But I hope the mistake that I made didn't weigh too heavily on other people. Uh, because that would, I would hate, I would really not hate that. So if there is, if there is a storm, let it be on me. But I don't want to bring anybody else into my storm. Right? So I, you know, and I think it's my responsibility as an artist to survive it and then offer the warning. Mm. I don't know where the hell that just came from. <laughs> really but, beautiful. There you, but there you <laughs> have it, ladies Very and gentlemen. Very beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. That's not bad for a Sunday morning at 1130. No, right? <laughs> I like <laughs> I can barely even breathe and here I am. Go ahead. All right, your final question, Maybell. Go ahead. Question. All right. So. Uh, do you have a writing prompt for our listeners? Yes. Ready? Yep. So easy. So easy. It starts with uh, uh, a declaration, and then the writing prompt is will be the exemplification of that. How's that? No two people in the world speak the same. No two people in the world speak the same. That's just true. So, because of our education, our ages, our health, our well-being, our health, our mental health, our physical health, our politics, our gender, our sexuality, our our cultural influences, our regional influences, and on and on and on, they all influence how we speak. A seven-year-old does not speak the same way as a seventy-year-old, obviously, right? So we say, obviously, and then yet when we write our script, all of a sudden everybody sounds the same. They all sound like standard English. People don't talk that way. So you need to, you need to make that better in our characters. So here's your writing prompt. Your writing prompt is an example, is to, is to show you this. Go to your computer, bring up a script that has more than three characters talking in the play on one sheet of paper. So there are three people at least on, on one page. Cut and paste, do a new document, one page of that. Take all the names out, print it off. Ask somebody how many people are speaking on the page. They should be able to tell you three. They should. I bet they don't. How's that? Whoa! Oh, 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 look out! 
So, so, and look, you know, it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but it will certainly show you what you need to see if you do it. Um, uh, we have identifiers in our language. And they need to be, you know, so that banker has a way of speaking that the person that is his assistant does not have. I guarantee it. Uh, it, the banker has 30 years of experience in the bank. The assistant has two. That profession has a way of seeping into language. Certainly does at work. I bet it does at home. You know what I'm saying? So, so how then can we influence how people speak? Well, the easiest way to do that is to start listening and paying attention because it's really obvious. Once you tune your ear to it, once you go, oh yeah. So Ma uh, Mabel, I hear how, I, the difference between you and Tori is pretty significant. It is. I heard it before I met you today when I listened to <laughs> two, or, two earlier podcasts. I could tell who was speaking before I could tell who was speaking. Because I can hear the differences in your language, right? And, and, and I'm not using myself as an example, but only to say I have spent a a good part of my career training my ear to hear that mm -hmm. so that I would hear the difference of how you speak. Mm -hmm. And and as a result, I can go and mimic it on paper. That's what I would say is my, that's it. <laughs> I'm just, okay. That'd be a really anyway. good exercise for me to do with something that I'm working on right now. This, I was yeah, just thinking that. I was like, yeah. oh, that there, now that there is a possibly a very sobering exercise. I, I, I know I was thinking that. I was thinking, okay, I just have these three scenes to finish to finish the play. But my God, if I if I do that, woo! Well, you know, the rewriting will begin. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the glory of it, yeah. right? The, glor the good, glory right? is the glory is you will finish the draft of your play and you'll yes. say, as, as we should anyway, right? And you can say, mm -hmm. this is the language draft. I am only dealing with oh. language. I'm just oh, going to deal with language. So this is the yeah. character draft. This is the structure draft. This is the, it makes it so much easier if you assign a task to draft writing as opposed mm. to okay page one <laughs> i love that i oh my gosh gary do you uh want to tell people how they can find you if you want to be found and also sure. anything that you want to promote well look you guys if you know if when that 10 minute play festival rolls back around next year everyone should submit to it. It's just silly that, I mean, just it's electronic. It doesn't, it costs you $2 to apply to submittable or whatever that thing is that people submit things to. The $2 is to submittable. It's not to this contest. Seems like a lovely uh, prize for little effort. Um, anyway, so I would promote that. And uh, people can get to me by uh, gary.garrison at mac.com. That's my email address mac.com or on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram thing is play at writing, at play at writing, play at writing. Because Michael Wright, author Michael Wright, contends that all playwriting is play at 
writing. And I like that. I like that too. So, yep. Well, it's been a pleasure, ladies. Thank you so much for inviting me. Amazing, Gary. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation. Great way to start. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Let's do it again sometime. Oh my gosh, Tori. What a lovely conversation. I feel so energized. I want to go write a 10 minute play now. I know. I love Gary Garrison. Mm. <laughs> the energy. It's just, it's beautiful. The positivity. The, the positivity. The, what he said about yeah. family. Like I, that has, that has stayed with me. How he talks about, you know, um, we go into these productions and it's like a, it's like a makeshift family. And I think, I think so many of us gravitate to that, that sense of belonging, that instant, we're a family now, we're doing this as a family. I think that's really lovely. I see that. Absolutely. Here's, here's a segue. I see that in Paletras, which is Tuyo Theater's workshop for emerging Latinx writers, which is going to be having a show. See that plug, Tori? See that plug? I see that plug. When is the show? The show is April 8th at Moxie Theater. It's called Mariposa Rising. It's a collection of five short plays, including one that was co-authored by me and Alvaro Sarrios. It's our we're going to we're going to show off the the thing we've been working on. So if you are in the San Diego area, please come by and check it out. More information at tuyotheater.org. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but yes, Saturday. Is Alvaro going to be there? Don't I wish. Oh. <laughs> no, no. But but I will finally get to meet him in person when I go to Chicago um in a couple wow. of weeks so yeah oh that is so amazing we've been doing a lot of work together and you know it's just weird you forget that there used to be a time when you met people in person and would work together and now we're in this weird world where you can go for years not having met someone in person and then and feel like you know them which you do know them, but it's just it's just a different. It's different though, right? Than actually seeing somebody in person. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that is. Oh, I'm jealous. Oh. I'm it's really looking forward to that. He seems like such a cool guy. Yeah. yeah. But someday, someday we'll we'll all be in the same room together. Definitely. So. Okay, everyone. That concludes our first episode of season six mm -hmm. and we are laying out a great rest of the season and can't wait to share all these conversations with all of you yes so until next time bye playwrights bye playwrights <laughs>